luminous souls. Thank you so much for tuning in. Your presence is both welcome and needed in this sacred space. This is Faith Inspired Action, the podcast. I am Tara Todd, multi-passionate healer, faith fanatic, plant medicine enthusiast, and co-creating queen. Nope, never been called modest. (laughs) But I am your host and I am so excited to venture on this journey with you. I help people remember who they are and harness their power to curate the life they desire. So we'll have conversations around mindset, metaphysics, faith, personal development, and expansion. I believe in one consciousness and the interrelation of all living things. So let's water each other's tree, nourish one another's soil, and empower humanity to align, transform, and transcend into their divinity. I am all about the healing, wholeness, and as a collective, living our most sovereign and authentic lives. I am extending my branch to you, so let's jump right in. Hello, hello, my luminous souls. Thank you so much for joining me today for this third episode of Faith Inspired Action, the podcast. Today we have one of the most amazing people joining us. I I don't even have the words to say it. My soul sister, my mentor, my inspiration, Dr. Miriam Sakandi is here with us today and she is going to share all the goods. So please welcome her as um, as we proceed with today's episode. Hey, Miriam. (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey, Tara. Nice to see you. It's always a pleasure to be with you, to chat with you. And yeah, thanks for having me here. Same. Thank you so much for agreeing to uh, do this with me today. I'm really excited to have you and I'm super excited just for people to hear your story, hear your triumph. Um, and, and hear about all the amazing things that you have going on today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Do you want to share a little bit about your background and everything that is the Miriam? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Miriam is a huge thing. And I'm I'm glad you asked me this because the past couple of days, I think we chatted Friday and something interesting has happened in between them. Um, a lot of thinking for me. <laughs> A lot of thinking for me around how we struggle to find a label for ourselves and, you know, find, you know, I'm a this coach or I'm a that healer or I'm a this. And I, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is, wow, like how we struggle to make the world understand us versus us standing in who we are. So, I'm I'm more like right now I'm like I'm done with the labels. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm done with the labels. I know so many people have been done with the labels because the labels just limit us into trying to shape every conversation within the label. And yet we are more than the label. So I am a lot of things. I am a girl who was born and raised in Uganda, in East Africa. Uh, Right now, I live in Canada, and I've been here since 2004. But I was born and raised in Uganda in a very deeply um, collective culture. And if you understand what a collective culture is like, 
I sum it up as everybody's, everybody is everybody's business. So everything you think, say, or do is governed by, overseen by, controlled by the community. Down to how we raise children, you know, there's that, uh, and I'll t- talk about this later, probably my book, It Takes a Village to Raise, to wreck a child, because we always talk about it takes a village to raise a child because of that collectivism uh, that is rife in these communities. So I was born in such. And one of the things that was very key or significant in those times was how children are raised, which is something that has impacted me strongly and has come out so much at this point in my life how we raise children and how that affects children when they become adults and then have to raise their own children, the cycles that continue. So a lot of times when we talk about what's going on in our lives, it's been impacted by our childhood. And so for me, my my childhood was full of an interesting kind of love. I was never shown physical affection we kind of knew our parents loved us, but we were never shown that physical affection, the hugs, the I love yous, the kisses, those didn't exist. We actually were told, there was a saying that if a, a fly that loves you will fall on your wound. So if you have an open wound, usually it will attract like flies. Mm-hmm. So they say a fly, the fly that loves you will fall on your wound. And of course it hurts. So, it was more like the person who loves you is the one who punishes you or mm. who corrects you. But the correcting was more like the physical punishment, the corporal punishment. And much of my time at, at this point in my adult life has been spent trying to heal from the wounds of the, that physical um correction you could call it or physical I don't know whether I should call it abuse because we could someone else could label it as abuse but it was their method it was their method of correcting right but that method left me with a lot of wounds internal wounds and I've spent a lot of the time trying to heal from those wounds and sharing with others the impact of what it is, particularly people who are raised the same way, but don't actually see it as a problem. Mm-hmm. They don't see it. Yeah. So that's kind of a piece. We'll touch on more as we go. So a couple of things that are really interesting is you talking, mm-hmm. opening up and talking about labels. My very first episode is about me. And one of the things that I shared was someone asked me, who are you? And it's like, who are we without the labels? Who are we when we strip away our jobs, our relationships, our financial portfolios, our material possessions? Like, who are you? You know what I mean? It's such an interesting question. And I said, you know, I don't really know how to answer that when you strip away all the labels. And I'm definitely open to, you know, other people sharing how they, how they describe themselves when someone asks, who are you? 
without mm-hmm. all the labels. Um, but also I've heard a lot of discussions around conversations around, like you were saying, in your culture, that is the norm. And for someone like coming from America, yeah, we also, a lot of us grew, especially Black families grew up having physical punishment, um, but never to the extent of what you've experienced. And so I've heard conversations where people say like, are we coming from our culture, coming from a different country, allowed to interfere with another country who does things like that, that we see maybe as being brutal? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, mm-hmm. it, do we have a right to even judge it or try to stop it or interfere with it? Because, you know, the United States loves to get involved in a lot of other people's business um, and, and countries and how they run their country. So, yeah, I've heard conversations around that. And I'd love to know just your perspective about that alone. Like it, you coming from there, it's OK for you to have a voice, but should should our country interfere or should any other country interfere or other cultures have a say in what happens there? That's a really beautiful question. Really, really beautiful because part of the other work that I do is I work with children who have been removed from their families <laughs> because of some of this. So I don't know whether it is interference because to me, knowledge is, I don't want to say power, but knowledge is knowledge, right? It is equipment, it's tools, it's things we add to ourselves. A lot of the work that's out there on trauma is research-based. And there is evidence of people who came from those same backgrounds who have healed that trauma that came with those beatings and are now, they they are more productive versus more held back. So one of the things that I found was looking at myself, my personal story, is I looked at what are the things that I am unable to do because of the fear, because what happens with physical punishment is it instills fear Mm -hmm. in a person. And that fear can spread to different things like lack of confidence, lack of fear of public speaking, fear of taking risks, fear of using money. You know, I remember like if somebody gave you money and you like if, you know, and and your uncle gave you money and you took it to the store and bought yourself candy, you could get bitten for that. So there was fear of even spending on yourself. Like so many people can't spend on themselves, Mm -hmm. but they can give, they'll Mm -hmm. give. So I think when we come from a place of knowledge versus if there's no information shared and, you know, versus just removing the child and instead nurture with knowledge or even examples from within those communities to show what could happen if there there was an alternative way. What are the alternative ways you could still get a child to comply without necessarily those physical punishments? 
Mm-hmm. You know, what does it help for a child to be so afraid that they are frozen and cannot think on their own because they are trying to do things to please the adults in their life, not even the community, but the adults. Like, not, So there's what we call people pleasing. A lot of people talk about people pleasing and it's so interesting. And to me, it's more like children who grew up in those situ- situations are afraid of offending the adult. Mm-hmm. So in the face of the adult, in the presence of the adult, they'll do one thing, to please the adult. But when the adult is not there, the child will be a different person. So these situations create children with double characters. That's number one. Number two, it also causes these children, once they turn into adulthood, there are things that they did not get to explore and cultivate within themselves. And so as adults, they are less equipped. Mm. Which is why so many times uh, people from black families or other colored, I'm using the word colored, but you know, non-white, <laughs> non yeah people I know the word colored is used in Africa and it's a norm it's not Dif- offensive so I get yeah it. yeah we get yeah it. <laughs> yeah so uh, people who are people of color uh, tend to look at their uh, Caucasian counterparts so the Euro Western the what we would call white uh, counterparts as more superior but i think the superiority that is being seen is and i'm not saying that there was no brutality in white families because i have had clients who come from places where that brutality is there but those yeah so which is interesting right and some of them came from families where the parents were you know mom was a lawyer dad was a doctor Mm-hmm. But the brutality in the home was absolutely insane. The chain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that it doesn't happen, but there is this thought. I, I think there's a way, I, I'll say there's a way uh, it is hidden in those families. It is not because they are individualistic, it's an individualistic culture. It stays at home. The mm-hmm. violence stays at home. Whereas in our collectivistic cultures, that that physical brutality is communal. Mm -hmm. So it's out in the open. So there is that tendency to look at our white counterparts as superior, you know, because Mm -hmm. they don't have that out in the open until they open up and then you see it existed. Right. So I hope I... (laughs) That was my roundabout way to get it in. No, you're absolutely right. Um, And what I'd like you to share a little bit about is just your background. So Miriam actually is (laughs) multi-talented, has many, has many, many businesses. Um, And I'd like you to talk about um, yeah, like your journey, your education and, and what got you to doing the work that you're doing now. Like I, so you and I have done, you've done energy healing with me. You've sent Reiki to my dog. Um, <laughs> and just in any random 
telephone conversation, you get intuitive insights and share with me, like you're always healing me (laughs) in some capacity (laughs) or telling me to do something to help, you know, that helps myself. So um, my experience with you has been amazing, but I want the people to know like everything that you do and, and, you know, the journey that you've had to get to the place where you are, because you're the example that you just gave of someone who comes from this brutal background and has had this wounding and trauma and has done intensive healing for years and now is thriving and flourishing in your life. And and that's not to say we don't all have more healing to do, but where you are now based on where you come from is phenomenal, nothing less, Mm -hmm. you know? So I want to hear a little bit about, I want them to know a little bit about that. I'll start with the thriving and flourishing part because sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, I should be farther than I am because I want more, I want more, I want more. But then I sit back and I'm like, what is more? So I go back to the point of our creation And our creation could be, you know, you could put it anywhere, like whether it's at the beginning of your first ancestor or at conception or at birth. So I'll start with at birth. So first of all, pre-birth, our life is a miracle, right? How we are conceived is a miracle. It's, you don't even wake up and plan how you're conceived, although there are some people who will argue differently, but you don't decide what happens preconception. But maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that <laughs> side of things. Many theories but there. <laughs> there's many theories there, but anyway, somehow, somewhere, two people get together and we are conceived. And then uh, we are born. So I go back to we are born separate apart from what we inherit the beliefs the trauma the woundings that are those who came before us had but the out external influence on us is not as much from the world in which we are born and then we go in through this world collecting all this stuff uh beliefs values attitudes blah 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 all that stuff we collect Mm -hmm. and then we get to a place and we still are not happy we still feel empty, no matter what we have. I came to Canada with a suitcase, one one bag of things. Now I have a whole house, four bedrooms, three three bathrooms, full of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. And I will not. And when we die, when we cross, not die, but when we leave this earth and go on to be an ancestor, we take nothing with us. Nothing with us our soul goes. So for me, the thriving and flourishing is more at that soul level. How am I? So when we went back, and I'll go back to my story, but when we were talking about who we are, who Mm -hmm. are you? So for me, that who am I is not all the things I've collected along the way, in between now and my birth. It's who, what is the constant from birth to when I move on, what is that constant? So that's where my flourishing is, that continuing to to get back to that constant place to reconnect 
in every conversation, in every action. It's not even the physical stuff that we collect to help us go through this life mm -hmm. because that's there. And someone could look at it deep, could look at it in different ways. But yeah, so for me, that's the th thriving and flourishing. How connected am I to my baseline? Mm, I love that. Const yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So I, I mentioned where I was born in Uganda and um, I'm a, kind of a middle child. I'm a second born but uh, we were supposed to be a number of us, but you know, some passed away when they were little. Mm -hmm. um, so we, the, right now there's three of us, three adults, and I'm the middle child of the three. So I have an older sister and a younger brother. And I, <laughs> they talk about middle child syndrome when we are always, attracting attention mm -hmm. <laughs> needing attention because it tends to go to the older ones and it's worse in collective cultures because the expectation on the eldest child is to be a role model for the younger child mm. so then somehow somewhere as the middle child you kind of get away with things because you're not expected to be anything for anyone so I did kind of get away with things but from my childhood and this is looking back in retrospect I my soul was always willing wishing to reconnect to who I am so because of that a lot of the things that were happening in my life I felt were off they always felt off why am I being asked to do this? Why must I follow these rules? So I was a constant rule breaker. Mm. I was a constant envelope pusher, constantly. And in our culture, that's called a rebel. Mm. Not rebel as in the way it's being used today, but rebel as in the child that you don't want your kids to interact with. Mm -hmm. Right, because she never follows any bad rules. influence. Very bad influence. I was looked at <laughs> as bad influence, actually. Um, and yet, for me, it was more that constant battle to 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 be separate from all these things that I felt were coming at me. Right from going to school and feeling like the school system was not set up for me. I never felt I belonged in the school system. Uh, I was not the kind of child who was there to sit and listen to a lecture for hours. It, it, it would break me. So, you know, these days people talk about the labels, the ADHD and so on and so forth, neurodivergent and blah, blah, blah. But I think all these... All these labels, to me, are there because a person is of what society considers to be normal. There is this conception that we are all meant to be like this. So if you're off that grid, mm -hmm. you, there's something wrong with you. Right, right. Versus, how about we look at individuals as individuals? Right? Mm -hmm. everybody 
has their own thing. They have their own turn on. They have their own favorite color. If we are okay with them having their own favorite color, their own favorite food, their own favorite clothes, they prefer this, they prefer that. Why do we think that they can't be different in terms of who they are and how they show up? Right. So I, I, I went to a school system which put through the ki- put the kids through this vessel where you had to fit in. We all went to the same classes. We all studied the same way. There was no differentiation in learning. Uh, we didn't have a choice if we wanted to, and I got suspended. I, I actually didn't really get suspended for behavior. My suspension was an unfortunate incident. Some some people were cheating in an exam and I did not report them, so I was suspended because oh, I didn't gotcha. report them. Yeah. But, but, but you can see how stuff like that pushes a kid to the edge. It's interesting right? when you say that you you know, we're different. And like you said, up and down, like kind of all over the place doing the most, but you managed to get a PhD, which is not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm I'm, I'm getting there. (laughs) And I'm getting there. Like how, how all that happened because so going through that education system, being rebellious through that education system, not wanting to follow that education system, which is interesting because I'm, I, I went to school for education. <laughs> but when I went into education, I made a vow. I said, my students are not going to experience what I experienced. My students are going to be different. And that alone caused chaos mm. in schools where I was because the teachers saw me differently. The other teachers, you know, the well-established teachers, they noticed that I was doing things differently. It wasn't, it w- it wasn't going down really well with many of them because the, my approach was different. I taught in an inner city school and I, I, I saw differences in these children you know, in in the lives that they were living, living in slum areas, the lives that they came with, there was no way I was going to treat a child who came from a slummy area where, where you know, prostitution was rife, where, like, drunkards were all over the place, and a child who came from, you know, kind of a clean, sanitized home with a fence around it and all that so I saw these kids differently and I'm still in touch with with most of my students who I taught when I was who I taught in high school because I saw them that way and society society expected us to go um, in a certain order go to school finish your high school get a professional course which would be a degree, hopefully, get a a professional course, get a job, start making money, get married, have children, have them go through the same. Now, for me, I ended up getting pregnant at 17, which is a whole other story. (laughs) Because I... 
when we grew up, the conversations around sex were never as they are now. No one talked about sex. Yeah, no one talked about sex. So I ended up getting pregnant at 17. And I had my daughter who has now given me a beautiful granddaughter. Yes. So with that, I already broke the sequence that was society expected. And so long story short, I ended up going back to school after having her. I finished my high school, did my diploma, taught a bit with the kids that I told you, went back and got my degree, still following some of society's um, expectations. And then when I finished my degree, the university I finished at wanted to retain me. And so when they retained me, it was expected that I do have to go ahead and get my master's and my PhD because it was unexpected. So part of getting my PhD was that expected societal expectation. Part of it was that. Yes, it has opened doors for me. Yes, it has made me see things that I would never have seen. But it was when I got it, I got it more because of that, what society expected of me. So that's my journey. (laughs) I share more about this in my book, which is coming up, coming out September 19th. It's going to be released and it's called It Takes a Village to Wreck a Child. You will find a lot of these juicy details that I've shared in there. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I'm excited for your book. And we definitely will have to have you back because there's so much more to your story. We haven't even talked about like all the different things that you do and the services you provide. Um, So yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back for another episode to tell us even more. Um, And your book is launching, is it the 19th or the 17th? 19th September. Okay. And where can people find your book? My book will be on Amazon. Beautiful. It will be on Amazon, but um, I've been sharing more about it on my social media, Facebook, Instagram, and links to uh, get on the list are there. Uh, we could so tell the people add... where to find you online. Uh, online, you can find me online through breakfreezone.com where I, I help people to break free from any shackles that are holding them back, particularly shackles that they picked up from their childhood. So breakfreezone.com. Um, Facebook, Facebook as Miriam Secondi, Instagram, BreakFreeZone4. BreakFreeZone4, four for my four children. If that oh, helps you remember, I love that. BreakFreeZone4. Yeah, I didn't know what the four was for, so that's cool. Yeah, it's for my four children because BreakFreeZone was taken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Miriam. It's so amazing to just have you here and 
to hear your story, like I get so entranced when you talk because, you know, we come from such different backgrounds and have such different experiences, but you and I have so many synchronicities that it's mm-hmm. like, that's what drew me to you initially anyway. Like the, the commonalities are insane, completely mm-hmm. insane. And it just doesn't like when you talk about your personality and all the being all over the place and all the extra, like we're both Leos. We're so similar in that we're so multi-passionate and just, you know, very vocal and just, we're just going to always beat to our own drum or whatever that saying is. So (laughs) we'll figure it out. Like we make our, we make the beat and we bring the drum. (laughs) Exactly. And we dance. And we, oh, girl, dance. Yes. Yes. So um, it's such a pleasure to have you. I love you. Of course, you know that. And um, yes, thank you so much for just being here with us today. Thank you all for listening. This has been Faith Inspired Action, the podcast with Dr. Miriam Sekandi, who has just graced us and blessed us with her presence. Until next time, I want to remind you of the important role you serve in this world and how much humanity needs you. I love you and I speak blessings into every area of your life. Thank you so much for joining me here at Faith Inspired Action, the podcast. Whether this is your first listen or you join me regularly, I am eternally grateful. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me the honor of liking, subscribing, and leaving me a comment or review. I'm totally up for connecting online too, so please follow me on Instagram at Faith Inspired Action. Then go to my link tree to join my private Facebook group and check out my current offerings. I welcome your questions, feedback, and insights. Also, if you have something amazing to share with the world, I'd love to invite you on a future episode. Just direct message me a basic synopsis of your story and include your email. Until next time, I love your luminous soul and thanks for sharing your light with this community. Music written and produced by my brother, Gabe Taylor at Lord Kingdom Productions. All rights reserved. Oh, 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 o